Bruce Lawn. Cameron, I don't know how much you know about me. It doesn't really matter. But what most folks uh, hopefully have heard about me at this point is I came to the faith through the door of apologetics. I was at a young age hurt by the church, hurt by religion, hurt by the faith because the church that we were attending, the Armenian Orthodox Church, had remarried my dad when I guess he was technically still married to my mom. So I grew up with a lot of church hurt, a lot of church pain, and fully functional atheists at a very young age. And apologetics, and specifically Josh McDowell's The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, um, The Case for Christ. These are the books that brought me to the faith. And so that is why I fell in love with your channel probably close to about a year ago. I went and swiped up and looked at some of our earlier DMs. And uh, it's been a huge blessing. So my question to you is, how did you get into apologetics? Um, And and, and what role do you think apologetics can play for uh, bringing skeptics to the faith or bringing, you know, conceptualizing the gospel for folks that are a bit more intellectual and heady? Okay. I, I, I counted about three different questions there. Let me start with the, with the one about my background, how I kind of got into apologetics. So, uh, on my channel, I talk about this a lot. My brother became an atheist about eight to nine years ago at this point, mm-hmm. And that's really what sent me on a journey to really discover whether or not I had good reasons to believe that Christianity was true. I remember having a discussion with him. I like went over to his house, we had dinner and I was going to talk to him about his atheism because I, I, I didn't really take it seriously at that point. Mm-hmm. I had I had like dealt with doubts myself while I was in Bible college, which I was I was only there for a year and it wasn't a very serious Bible college or anything. Um, it, it wasn't like a seminary. I wasn't learning theology or anything like that. It was it was very charismatic and just not very serious. But uh, the point is that I, I had my own doubts and I overcame those. Mm. And I was thinking, well, it's going to be super easy to just go talk to my brother and just like convince him that Christianity is true or like his objections weren't any good. And it didn't go like that at all when I first <laughs> met with him. So after that night, I just, that launched me out into apologetics and to discover whether or not there was any good reason to think that Christianity was true. So when I talked with him initially, he had a, he had a lot of good objections in my in my mind at the time. These were good objections because I didn't I hadn't thought about them myself. I didn't know if there were any good responses to them. But after a while, and in what I mean by a while is after several years of looking into the evidence for God's existence and for Christianity in particular, I discovered that there's like there's such a wealth mm. of arguments and evidence out there. Mm-hmm. That I didn't anticipate really being there, and so that's what really kind of encouraged me to get involved in apologetics because I figured that there's a lot of people like me who just didn't know this, even in the church, and so I just I, I see a whole lot of value in trying to get this information out there, you know, basically. Um, now, what was the second part of your question? The other question was. It, is it valuable to get it out there? No. How? how what role how, how, do you think it could play in, in contextualizing the gospel for the skeptic? So I think that apologetics can serve a couple different functions, and probably the number one function that it serves is to uh, answer doubts for Christians who are already in the faith. Mm-hmm. And so evangelism is, I think, one goal that apologetics can serve, but it's not the only goal. But I think that for some people who are open, apologetics can play a significant role in their coming to, you know, embrace the the truth of Christianity. But I think for a lot of people, and this this applies to not just atheists but to Christians, and when you're kind of set in your worldview, mm. you're like you're not really open to hearing what other people have to say or or you know viewpoints that contradict your own. You're not really open, and so 
in the same way that it applies to atheists, it applies to to Christians and to Hindus and everyone else. When you're kind of set, you're not really open to hearing some kind of like apology or philosophical argument for the truth of you know for for the fact that God exists or that Christianity is true. So I, I think that apologetics can play that function, but for a lot of people, they're just not open to it. And so for but for some people, it seems like like yourself, like you were open to it. You were open to following the evidence where it led, and that led you to embrace Christianity. So I think that for for those types of people, it can definitely serve that function. But for the, the function that it served in my life was that it kept me a Christian. And mm. I grew up a Christian. I had all of these experiences at church, you know, and then when I encountered these really serious objections, apologetics is what helped me sort of answer those objections, and I'm now still a Christian. And so I, I would say, what if some a lot, a lot of times I get asked, you know, why are you a Christian? Mm -hmm. And so it, that's a little bit more difficult these days to answer that because in the past, what I said, oh well, you know, that's kind of how I grew up, and that's that's basically it. Like I just go to church, and that that's why I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, it's like that's why I was a Christian. But the fact, the reason why I'm still a Christian is because of apologetics. But to to answer your question, I think that it kind of depends on the person and whether or not they're really open to following the evidence where it leads, which I think in a lot of cases, just people aren't really open to doing that. You know, I think it's a rare quality to be able to do that. I love that. How has your relationship with your brother changed since you got more into apologetics? How, how has the conversations changed? That is a good question. So at, at first, when I was starting to get into it, I would, because when you, when you first discover apologetics, it's like, I had been living my life with blinders on and like I, I took them off and I was able to see the world in a completely different way. I was able to make connections between my thinking and what other people would say. And just in, in, you know, basic dialogue with other people, I was able to do all and understand a lot of the moves that were being made. And so it just like, it opened my world, opened up my mind. Mm. And that's like, when I started to learn these arguments for the truth of Christianity, I was like, these are good arguments. I need to share this with my brother, like at every opportunity Come on. that I can. And that's, that's what I did. And what I discovered what that's, that it was the wrong thing to do because what I was doing was I was actually kind of treating him as like uh, a thing to like win <laughs> as opposed to a person to love. Yeah. And like, this is not just a person, this is my brother. And I wasn't really loving him. I was just trying to like win arguments, you know, and, tr and try to win these debates with him and try to like bat and use these arguments as a kind of weapon against him as opposed to just loving him first. And so what I've, what I eventually learned was that I need to put all of that aside and focus on that first part. And then everything else can just kind of happen organically when it does. And so that's what I've really been focusing on these last few years is just being there for him as a brother, loving on him. And then once I've got that down, then that can leave the door open to have these other conversations about, you know, worldview stuff. Mm. And it's it's really been amazing to to make that transition. Now, nowadays, we have when we have conversations, it's not combative. Mm. It's like, you know, we can really approach these things, uh, I think, with open minds on both sides. And it's just a way better approach. And I, I had to learn that the hard way. That's awesome. One of uh, one of my good friends, Rufat, was a very charismatic Christian who then uh, became a very avid atheist. And I've mm. caught flack on my channel for having him on. We have a, a series, and, and, and I think it's awesome to, to see brothers that disagree on some very foundational views of life. However, they right. can have a civil argument or a civil conversation. 
And I think you're totally spot on in terms of not trying to win the argument, but trying to love the person. And, and, and I think that I've won a ton of respect from a lot of my atheist friends because they know that my faith isn't just something that's like, you know, a personal, abstract, what have you. It's, it's, it's a literal physical faith. Um, would, would you, would you say that most people come to the faith through an experience with God, like a transformative experience with God, and then apologetics, and, and the meaning of apologetics, as you guys that are wondering, is, is ultimately the defense for the faith, right? It's defending the faith. Would you say most people come to the faith through an encounter and experience with Jesus, and then apologetics kind of keeps them in the faith? Or would you think that it's it's a little different than that? What, what are your thoughts on on like the role that it plays? Because it sounds like it, it kept you in the faith, but it led me to the, to the experience, which is, I think, backwards for than most people. Yeah, well, let me let me say something that's kind of in the background here because a skeptic might be listening to this and think that there's something wrong with that, with like apologetics being served as this kind of function mm-hmm. to keep people in the faith. Mm. I actually made a video on my channel that said why I wish I used to be an atheist mm. because it makes it, it it seems a whole lot more compelling when mm. you can hear someone that that say was a Christian then became an atheist and then became a Christian again, mm. or someone who started out as an atheist, maybe even in your case. And then through apologetics or through the evidence, then became a Christian. Mm. But when you start with somebody who's a Christian mm-hmm. and then they just like remain a Christian because of apologetics, it seems like there's maybe something not right that's going on there. And so but I but I made this video and, and the the point there is I was kind of like thinking about what are wh- why do I want to uh, why would I like to have used to have been an atheist, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And so what I what I discovered was that it, it sort of gives an appearance of intellectual honesty to people, <laughs> but that's not that's not what I should be going after, right? I shouldn't want to appear a certain way to this group of people, to mm. skeptics. That's not what I should be focused on. What I should be focused on in reality is just going after the truth. And so if that's what I've done, at mm. least to you know the best of my ability, and we all deal with cognitive bias, it's not just like a thing that happens to this yeah. one group of people. Right or people who, you know, consider themselves uh, God believers, whatever. It's not, Mm -hmm. it it happens to everybody, including atheists. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I just think that we've got, that can't be the thing that we're trying to get after, like the appearance of intellectual honesty. Mm -hmm. We've just got to go and shoot for the truth. And so I think that that's what I've done, even though apologetics has sort of played that role for me. I think that that's, what I've done. And I feel like I didn't even answer your question. So repeat your question real quick. I just wanted to to make that, that point. Yeah. I, I, that's a, and that's a great point. Thank you for making that point. I, what I was basically saying is like most people come to the faith through an experience and encounter an encounter right. and experience that could be kind of interchangeable. Right. And, and I don't mean to just dismiss that as like an emotional thing. Oh, I, I felt God. I felt the, the goosebumps during a worship song. And then I knew, you know, and then apologetics keeps them in the faith versus Mm -hmm. in my situation was kind of backwards right and so i i think um yeah i would say for go ahead i'd say for most people it's it's sort of based on an experience at least if if you know maybe at the first Mm -hmm. and then maybe later on through apologetics you could learn to embrace the faith because of these other reasons you'd have william lane craig calls it like a the technical term that he uses is called double warrant. So you've got this experience of God or like when you read the Bible, it just seems true to you. And so mm-hmm. you've got this kind of experience that way. Mm-hmm. But then you can also have this other kind of warrant or this other kind of justification for your belief on the basis of some argument, on the basis of some evidence that yeah. you've encountered. 
yeah, so that's, Christians, that's good. What, what he argues that you've got kind of double warrant there. Um, but I would say like that, that's more of an empirical question. It's like, what do people, how, how do people normally come to believe that Christianity is true? Is it on the basis of experience or is it on the basis of some argument? I'd say probably in the vast majority of cases, it's through some kind of experience, which I, I, I don't think that's uh, a bad reason to believe at all. I'm, I'm what's called a reformed epistemologist. So I don't think that you need necessarily to have reasons for your belief in God in order for it to be justified. I think you can completely be justified on the basis of experience because that's I the way that I view it is that that's a kind of evidence mm. in the same way that if I say say that I was to go outside and I was like trying to find something in my car and I like slam my my finger in the car door, which I think a lot of people have experienced something like that. You don't like that experience of pain is not something like and you you naturally form the belief in that situation. You're like, OK, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain. Right. You 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 have that belief, but that's not on the basis. You don't have that belief as the result of some like, you know, structured argument. Okay, now I feel pain. If I feel pain, then I, you know, that's not how it works. You just have the experience and you find yourself with this belief based on your experience. I think that's a completely legitimate way of coming to believe something. So I just, yeah, to to answer your question, I I would say that for the, for the vast majority of people, it's probably based on something like experience, which, which again, I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. What do you feel about I, I I don't I haven't dug too deep on this and I, I'm sure you've thought through it but what do you feel about the pragmatic side of Christianity I love your slogan uh, by the way Christianity is true right so I, I think uh, you're saying that from a, a historical standpoint a philosophical standpoint how do you feel about if we examine and just objectively look and say how much of the West has been influenced by judeo-christian principles? right? Uh, equality, love your neighbor as yourself, all these ideas that we kind of take for granted until you go, you know, to a totally different part of the world. You go to China, you go to parts of the Middle East and you're like, whoa. Or like, you just look look back in history. Yeah. Or, or, or yeah, exactly. Or you just look back in history. And I think that maybe something we don't talk about enough is is, is in the same way the the apologetics of like deny, uh, not deny, uh, defending the faith. The, the flip side of that is like, Hey, if we live our life the way the scriptures encourage us to and instruct us to, it'll actually be in our best interest. That doesn't mean there won't be tragedy. That doesn't mean there won't be suffering. Um, It just means that God's ways of things are always the best ways of doing things. And even when there is tragedy, when you have God's ways of doing things, you'll make sense of the tragedy. That kind of reminds me, have you heard of Pascal's Wager? Yes, on your channel. Okay, yeah, there, that the what you're kind of getting at seems to be something along those lines. It's mm-hmm. like it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Like if you were just to, to kind of make a decision based on what you know, mm-hmm. and in in terms of like weighing the risks and the or the the benefits, the potential benefits and the potential costs, mm-hmm. Pascal's wager is about like, well, you know, if Christianity is true. Um, I, I'm always really bad at actually laying out Pascal's wager, yeah. but there's a, there's a great person who I've interviewed on this, Liz Jackson. Uh-huh. And a lot of skeptics online will be like, Pascal's wager is, is really bad, but yep. it's, it's, it's not actually, there, there's some really good responses to some of the common objections to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, so if you, if Christianity is true and you believe it, then, you know, there's potential infinite reward yep. in, in terms of like heaven, you know? Yes. And if Christianity is true and you don't believe it, then there's potential 
really bad stuff. You know, you could wind up in hell, depending on what your view of hell is on Christianity. I don't think that's really going to actually matter that much. Mm-hmm. That's something that, that Liz Jackson argues in her in her work. Mm-hmm. But then, so so you have infinite potential reward mm-hmm. and and possibly on the other side, infinite potential punishment or you know bad stuff, yep. bad consequences. Yep. Christianity is true. But suppose that atheism is true. Or, or Yeah, let's just consider Christianity and atheism. Mm-hmm. Suppose atheism is true, is true and you believe in Christianity, mm-hmm. then what are you really losing out on? Yes. doesn't really seem like you're losing that much here. But suppose that atheism is true and then you believed in atheism. Like what is there to gain there? It doesn't seem like you've actually won much either. So it seems like given the fact that if, Christ, if Christianity is true, there's potential infinite reward or potential infinite bad yeah. consequences. Yes. And it seems like any rational person should want to believe that it's true, or at least if not, you can't force yourself to believe something. You could at least commit yourself mm-hmm. to like, say going to church yes. or reading your Bible yes. or praying. Yes. You know, you don't have to actually, yeah, that, that's a, that's one of the common objections to Pascal's wager is that you can't force yourself to believe something. And that's not necessarily what you have to do. You could just commit to living the Christian life. Yes. So, so yeah, I think that that's does that kind of answer? No, that your totally answers it. I, Jordan Peterson says he lives as if God exists, yet he's personally he said he's unsure. He says he said he's a uh-huh. agnostic on if the resurrection was literal or not, right? Which is really interesting to think that this you know Jordan Peterson teaches all these classes and goes through the Bible and this whole thing, and then he's like when he's pressed about the resurrection, he said ah I'm agnostic on if it's literal, and I'm like wow that's really interesting that he would say that, yet live as if God exists and read the Bible and do all the Judeo-Christian values and virtues. So I think you're, I think you're totally, I think, I think the way you articulate it as well, you know, yeah, the, what's the upside, what's the downside. Right. I I think anything, not any, this is going to sound bizarre and atheists are going to hate me for this, but I think anything that we would find decent in human behavior in the West, regardless of what you believe about there being a creator or not is actually, um, Judeo, Judeo-Christian principles, right? Love, kindness, patience, compassion. Do you think it's intellectually dishonest for atheists to conjure up their own morality while denying that there's a God when the majority of our morality and everything we would call human decency comes from the notion of this Judeo-Christian God? That's an interesting question. I need you to, re- to repeat it, though. Yes. So... Everything, everything in our society. My opinion. This is my opinion, but I think I think history back this up. Every- well, let me let me stop there because yeah. there's there's a guy who I interviewed recently. His name is Tom Holland, mm-hmm. and he's just recently wrote a book. I've got it on my bookshelf behind me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote a book, and he's a he's a historian. Mm-hmm. He's actually I think he says that he's a Christian now, but he was for a, for a long time he identified as an atheist or mm-hmm. maybe an, an agnostic. Mm-hmm. But on the basis of looking into the history, because he loved like the Roman period and like the ancient period in Greece, and he was like. As he was researching these different individuals, he was discovering that like they had completely different beliefs mm-hmm. than than he does, mm-hmm. and, and in terms of like you know what's moral and what's not moral. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "How is that po- like what I what they found is like this is completely acceptable." He finds morally abhorrent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he was like, "I it's just so foreign. It's like almost an alien mm-hmm. living." And this this wasn't that long ago. It was like two thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what he then he he started to think about this more and more and more. And then he eventually wrote this book where he basically defends the idea that Christianity is the reason why we have these sort of Western values. Mm-hmm. So when you say that, that, you know, atheists are going to hate that or whatever, then why don't they just go in and look at what this famous historian is saying who yeah. wasn't a Christian? Yep. 
like it's this is becoming more of a, of a mainstream okay. view it's just it seems pretty obvious that christianity has a really serious impact into what we believe today yeah. on, every, to on like, everything like said, yeah on everything right yeah. so yeah a skeptic who wants to challenge that you're going to have actually a really difficult time challenging that for for real so that i just wanted to say that at, yeah. at first but continue your, your question going back to so with that we just asking about. We, we established that premise me and you agree that that the majority of charity of morality of goodness of equality values that regardless on what someone may believe about if there's a creator or not the majority of those come from a judeo-christian view the the teachings of the new testament do you think it's intellectually dishonest for an atheist to say that they could have morality and 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 dignity and decency without there being a god that pushes morality into like right like they detach and they say well you don't have to believe in god to have morality yet are they ignorant of the fact that the majority of everything that's decent about the west is because of this idea of a God and the way he prescribed us to live in the new Testament. Yeah. I don't think it's gotta be necessary intellectually dishonest. What they could say is that like, yeah, we've got these sort of roots that explain kind of where our values are at currently. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these atheists are what what's called moral subjectivists. Mm -hmm. So they don't believe that there's kind of some kind of like objective standard that determines what's right or wrong. Right. So they could just say, well, yeah, my moral beliefs were shaped by Christianity or like, you know, the, the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition, mm -hmm. it was shaped by that in, in very significant ways. But because I'm a moral subjectivist, it doesn't really, you know, matter all that much. I'm still just going to do whatever I want to do. And ha I have these beliefs, but it doesn't mean that I'm subscribing to some like objective moral standard. So that's one, that's one way that they could go. Uh, and another way that they could go, if they want to say that morality is objective and that there are sort of you know, objectively uh, true moral facts or moral mm -hmm. claims. So, mm -hmm. like, they would believe it's always, in every circumstance, wrong to torture an infant for for fun. Mm -hmm. And even if someone disagreed about that, then they would just be wrong. It's not like this person would just have a different preference yep. or different taste. Yep. Like, uh, you know, you can think about it like different tastes in ice creams, right? Like, I like vanilla ice cream. My son likes chocolate ice cream. Mm -hmm. And there's not really, you know, some objective standard to determine who's right in this case. Right, right, right. But a, a, a moral objectivist would say that there is a, a right and wrong answer to these these kinds of, of moral questions. So, th so then the question is, could an atheist be intellectually honest and also accept that morality is objective? And mm. that's that's a... A very serious question. You know, that there's a an argument for God's existence called the moral argument. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very creative title. Uh, but it basically goes like this. Premise number one, if God does not exist, then objective moral values and duties do not exist. Come on. Premise two, objective moral values and duties do exist. And then the conclusion follows via something called modus tollens for any philosophy geeks out there that God exists. That's the conclusion that follows from the two previous premises. So what we're kind of dis discussing right now is whether or not premise one is true. And I'll just repeat that premise. If God does not exist, then objective moral values and duties do not exist. Yeah. And I think that there is very serious uh, debate over whether or not that premise is true. So there are very prominent defenders of this argument, defenders of this premise, like William Lane Craig, he defends this argument pretty famously. Mm -hmm. 
there's another guy who's really, really good that's not as well known. His name is David Baggett. Mm-hmm. His his uh his moral argument is actually a lot different. He he doesn't do this kind of like um, rigid logical kind of argument. It's more, and I'm going to use a little bit of a technical term, philosophical term. It's he has an abductive argument. But so there there's my only point here is that this is a very controversial premise mm. and. Personally, I don't think that that premise, or I, I guess a better way of saying it is that I'm just kind of undecided whether or not that premise is true. So I think that it's at least possible, plausible, that an atheist could be a moral objectivist is, is what I'm saying here. So I don't think that it's necessarily dishonest or intellectually dishonest for an atheist to to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's good. Um <clears throat> I've I've heard it said if somebody can argue into the faith, someone else can car- argue a- argue out of the faith, right? Which is when people ask me to do uh, more apologetic stuff on my channel, I just say, "Hey, just go check out capturing Christianity," right? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to argue people into the faith, and neither are you. But I think you have just really well laid out arguments for the the faith, the claims for the faith. So I appreciate you doing that. You guys should definitely check out his channel. Even the front page is just like the, the you know, I think it's evidence for uh, the resurrection, right? Like, And I'm like, I'm in, right? So I, <laughs> I've binged a lot of the content. And what I appreciate about you, Cameron, and we can kind of shift gears a little bit in terms of how you got into YouTube, is you okay. come from a photography background. And right. one of the things that's very noticeable about your channel is just how ill your whole backdrop looks your lighting the aesthetic the colors um and you're not, you, you're you you this is a passion of yours you you curate you bring on a lot of other guests tell me a, a bit more about how you got into youtube and let, let's unpack that a lot because i got a lot of questions for that and there's a lot of uh, aspiring creators that are going to be watching this so how did you get into youtube and, and, and your background as a creative great question so i started my ministry and it is a nonprofit, like we're a registered nonprofit ministry. It's uh, so, but I, but I started it as a blog. So it's capturingchristianity.com, and I was blogging a whole lot. And the reason why I did that actually was because, as, as an apologist or as an, a, an aspiring apologist, I would go to the Reasonable Faith forums, which is Dr. William Lane Craig's website. He's got a forum set up on his website, and I was going, I was like, I was spending hours and hours and hours there debating atheists, mm. like every single day checking it at night, checking it in the morning, checking it in the middle of the night. And so I was, eventually I decided, okay, look, I need to get, if I want to get serious about apologetics and like actually try to you know, make something out of this, even mm-hmm. if it's just a blog or something, or maybe write a book one day, then I need to get serious about it. So I started Capturing Christianity, my ministry as a blog. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it turned into a YouTube channel. But to kind of talk about the photography side, so I, my background is photography. I was a professional photographer for, I think, seven years. And uh, I was at a, a I was a photographer at a at a very pretty famous retailer. Mm-hmm. I want if if you look into my my uh, if you like search Cameron Bertuzzi photography, you might be able to find it. But anyways, uh, so I was I was a photographer for this retail company, and I was when I was starting my blog, I was thinking photography doesn't seem to lend a whole lot of credibility mm-hmm. to me as a like. What does a photographer know about philosophy or about history or about Mm -hmm. theology? Mm -hmm. You know, but eventually I decided I just need to be myself. I need to embrace photography Mm -hmm. and just incorporate that into apologetics. And so Mm -hmm. everything that I do is going to reflect 
you know, my, my, myself, my past and who I am and the things that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so I just decided that I don't care. People don't take me seriously because they think that I'm a photographer or whatever. I'll just, I'll let my work sort of speak for itself and then embrace who I am. Mm -hmm. And so, but I, the way that I got into YouTube was eventually I was like, okay, well maybe every now and then I'll like go out somewhere and record an interview with somebody and just do that. And so one of the first interviews that I did was, was with a guy named Tyler McNabb who lives, I live in Houston and the, he, he lived in Houston as well, which was kind of interesting. I learned that he was here, but I went over to his office. He, he's a young guy. He's actually younger than me. He's got a, he, he had a, got his PhD in like record amount of time. It's ridiculous. He's, he's super young, super intelligent. I went over to his office, set up little two, two little cameras and I just hit record. And then later I, I came back in my, my little studio and you know, did some, some video editing and stuff. And I posted that in three parts on my YouTube channel. I wasn't very, I was not taking YouTube seriously mm. at this point. I never thought of myself as a YouTuber. I wasn't trying to like get into YouTube. Mm-hmm. I was just like, well, this, this kind of serves the same purpose of like what I'm doing with my blog and my website. And I can do this kind of thing. And whoever sees it, that's cool. I don't really care. And so that was my attitude getting into YouTube. And then continuing my relationship with Tyler, like he and I became friends and I was like, well, what if I set up a a debate on my YouTube channel? This was back when Google Hangouts, you could still use Google Hangouts to do interviews and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I just invited a whole bunch of people on to talk about this argument, this very esoteric argument for, it's not even for God's existence, but it's against naturalism. It's called the evolutionary argument against naturalism. Mm. But I just, I just decided to set this video up. I'm going to have these, these various people on that I, that I knew and that I had engaged with on Facebook and everything. Mm-hmm. So there was a guy named, uh, Stephen law who I invited and then Tyler McNabb and I was going to have them talk. And then all these other people could just talk anyway. So the point is that at the end of this, after I did this, I was like, this was actually really fun. Like I could do more of these. Mm. And so that kind of sent me to do dialogues like that on my channel uh, about once a month. And so I've continued doing that. I I still host debates and still host dialogues between Christians and non-Christians on my channel. And so that kind of got me more interested in doing YouTube. And then eventually there was a guy named Mike Winger mm-hmm. who is just, you know, you probably know about him. And if your your audience don't doesn't know Mike Winger, definitely got to go check him out. But he's just he's such a great guy. And he was re, he reached out to me on Facebook several times, even back when I, my attitude towards YouTube was like, I don't care about yeah. it. I don't want to do this. Yeah. And he was like, you know, I because he was actually doing really well on YouTube at the time. And he had had his channel for probably six or seven years at that point. So he had learned a lot. And he was just, he was willing to just share all this information with me. Mm-hmm. And I was at the time, I was like, nah, I don't really want to do that. It's not really my thing. I don't really want to do that kind of thing. But eventually he was, he convinced me. He was like, okay, let's do this like uh, collaboration between John McRae, Mike Winger and myself. Mm-hmm. And so we took a video from an atheist that was about two minutes long. Mm-hmm. It was called 20 arguments, 20 atheist arguments against God's existence or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh-huh. And so each of us took one of these arguments and we we made a short response video to it, and we made it part of a playlist, and so it was a collaboration. And so overnight, my YouTube channel went from about 1,500 subscribers to 4,000 subscribers. Yeah. And once I saw that jump and the fact that these videos were getting thousands of views, I was like, this is a whole lot more views than my blog has ever received. There's a whole lot more potential here. You can even make money on YouTube. It just made a whole lot of sense. And with my background and photography and video, it's like – this just makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And so that's at that point I decided, okay, I'm going to get really serious about this. And so from that point on, I've just, like I said, been very, very serious 
about doing YouTube. So that's the kind of short, yeah, short-ish at version what, of my. At what point did you in- infuse your photography skills into YouTube? Because I saw some of your earlier videos, and you're just kind of using like a Logitech webcam. But at what point did you start? Like the modern presentation that you have right now, and by the way, I'm t- I'm sorry because this is my LUT is butchering your LUT and I didn't have time to fix it. So you're probably going to hate the way this looks oh. on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> but when did you introduce the the aesthetic that so many people kind of know you for now? I would say probably a little over a year ago. Okay. I was trying to figure out how I could up my – so doing live streams – You've got to figure out how you can get like a good camera. So my my interview with Tyler was actually filmed on two DSLRs and that looked really nice, you know, because it was filmed on these really nice lenses and cameras and stuff. And then, then in post and I just edited the whole interview together. And so that's the way that I did that. And it looked really good from an early from sort of early on. But to do interviews is a whole different beast, mm. as you're probably really familiar with at this point. Mm-hmm. And so the easiest way to do that is just to use a webcam mm-hmm. to get some little cheap microphone and do it that way. But I was like, okay, I need to eventually step my game up. But I just, I very early, very easily discovered that it requires a whole lot of money in order to do that. Mm-hmm. The, ca- the current, the, the cameras that I had at the time didn't support doing like a, a cam link, yeah, you know, or, or like converting some kind of HDMI signal mm-hmm. into something that a, com- a computer can recognize like a webcam, my really nice cameras that I used for photography couldn't do that. And I, I, so I was, I realized that I had to like invest money to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And so eventually as a ministry, I, I started a campaign to raise funds for, uh, to, to buy a nice camera. And so eventually that's, that's what I did is I bought a, a camera that can do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then also with a, a microphone as well. And so I would say probably about a year and a half ago at this point, I'd have to look into the, the archives, see exactly when that happened, when I got a nice uh, camera, a mirrorless camera mm-hmm. that could do the, the, you know, make it look really nice and lights and stuff. Cause I already knew how to do all the settings as, as a photographer, like mm-hmm. the settings and the lights and everything like that. That was the easy part. The difficult part was figuring out how to do that live as a mm. live stream. Mm. But eventually I figured it out and it just took some money to be able to do that. Yeah. And I I think um, what I'm kind of getting at is that you skill stacked, right? You took a sk- your skill of photography, you stacked it with your passion for apologetics and, and your ability to write and, and to have a blog. You combine these things and it allowed you to be disruptive as a creator in this space. And I think sometimes it's that obvious. What are some things that you're good at? What are some things that you're passionate about? What are some things that you you can piece together? My background is in music, right? right? So I started doing a live streaming, reviewing people's music because I had a, you know, a platform as an artist that positioned me to uh, improve my equipment, like the, the revenue from that positioned me to improve my equipment as I improved my equipment and my subscribers grew. I was able to get more high profile guests, which then grew my YouTube even faster and faster. And so I think people miss this idea of skill stacking where you're combining multiple things on top of each other to to create something special. And that's what, again, you know, kudos to you because your channel is is very like disruptive to me like when i saw from the thumbnails to the content and 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 most importantly it wasn't you being an expert as an apologist it was you curating uh your your passions 
Talk about that for a minute. Like how intentional was was the curation portion of it? Because it's not positioning Cameron as the know-it-all on this topic. Right. You, you were actually interviewing people that were heavy hitters in this space, but maybe they weren't on YouTube. Maybe they didn't have a really good-looking interview and a greatest, you know, a, a polished interview. And you're creating these amazing interviews for folks that are academics and very smart. So just talk about how you were able to curate and how important that could be for some people. Yeah. So I, early on, I had a, a few different people that were talking or that were uh, helping me kind of shape what the the future of capturing Christianity was going to look like. And eventually I decided, okay, look, like I'm not an expert. What I am is a photographer. I have a very intense passion for this stuff, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make me an expert. I think a lot of people kind of fall into that trap mm. of thinking that like oh, because you've read a couple books, you think that you're an expert and you can talk <laughs> on the on the subject. And there's a lot of people. I mean, there's even a. I think Richard Dawkins is a great example of of that. He's a an, an expert in one area. Like I'm, I'm an expert in photography. Mm. He's an expert in evolutionary biology. Mm. And then he tries to like pretend like he's an expert or that people should listen to what he has to say when it comes to philosophy of religion. Mm. That's a complete mistake. Like he doesn't know what he's talking about. His arguments are awful. They're they're the wor- they're some of the worst arguments that have ever been put forward in the public sphere mm-hmm. in terms of like religion and philosophy. So I, I that's that's a real big trap. And so what I wanted to do was to acknowledge who I am, mm-hmm. what are my limits, and then what can I do about this? And as as a photographer, as someone who has an interest in this, what I can do is interview people who are the actual experts. Yeah, and so good. I could I could shape my channel to be more of a platform as opposed to like a personality type. And and I think that those are the probably the two main categories of apologetics ministries. So you have like reasonable faith, William Lane Craig's ministry is a personality mm-hmm. type ministry, apologetics mm-hmm. ministry. It is all about the work of William Lane Craig. And he's very careful to, to, to make that apparent and obvious and explicit. It's like this, all of it is about William Lane Craig's work. Mm-hmm. But there are other ministries like, uh, I think, Reasons to Believe. Not Reasons to Believe. Um, I can't think of, Are you familiar with Greg Kokel? No. I know William Craig, but I don't know Greg Kokel. Greg Kokel is, uh, stand, okay, there, there it is. Stand to Reason is, is his ministry. Mm-hmm. So that, that ministry is actually kind of centered around Greg Kokel, mm-hmm. but he also has a bunch of other different speakers. And it's not called like Greg Kokel Ministries. It's called Stand to Reason. Mm-hmm. And he has a bunch of different people. So it's kind of a platform for these different people. But but what I do is I just, I interview experts. And that's that's, that's the way that I stay in my lane. You know, I'm not trying to get out. I'm not trying to act like I'm some, some kind of expert. Mm-hmm. When, and when I do my own videos, like when I when I post a video, it's just me talking. Then I r- regularly defer to the experts. I bring I, I reference all of this different work, and I I even send my scripts to experts, people that I trust and mentors that I've got and uh, philosophers. So I regularly am, am submitting my ideas and my work to the actual experts. And I just I, I felt like that was the appropriate way to go about this. It also keeps me humble. It doesn't. You know, it's 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 a way to to keep again to to just stay in my lane and to remember what the thing what what are the best things about Cameron Bertuzzi that he can bring to the space. And I also just wanted to to expose. I mean, that's that's the the whole point of exposing the intellectual side of Christian belief. What better way to do that than to just interview all of these different experts that people probably haven't heard of, but whose work needs to be in the forefront and needs to be in the limelight. Yeah. And so that was that was my my thought. And, and reasoning behind why I'm, I'm more of a platform as opposed to a personality type ministry. 
I love it. I love it. I think uh, I think that. So what, what what I like about what we're doing right now is we're describing what, what you've done. Um, uh, I, I want you to. You have a video up right now that's like seven tips for YouTubers. I watched it. I thought it was really good. Uh, and it was a collab with you and I, f- I forgot the other the other gentleman. Matt Brad. Yes, uh, he has a super dope channel too. His aesthetic is crazy. His thumbnails are really dope. Uh, so you you just gave us like this is what what, what Cameron has done. Can you, without rehashing mm-hmm. the video you did with Matt, which you guys should all go watch if you're aspiring to get into YouTube, the Christian YouTube space, I think is thriving and I think it's awesome. All the diversity. Can you give us some now prescriptive stuff? Some, some, some. These are some very practical things that if someone is watching this, they, they, they have some of these talents. Maybe they, they could skill stack a passion and a talent on top of each other to do what you're doing, what I'm doing. What are some very tangible pieces of advice you can give aspiring creators, Christian creators? Yeah. So I would say definitely go check out the video that you referenced. That we just recorded it. Was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. I think it came out uh, yesterday. So, yeah, yesterday at, at, at the time of this live stream, it is February fifth. So we recorded on February fourth, twenty twenty-one. But definitely go check out if, that if you want a, a sort of more in-depth look at what I suggest people do. And there's there's so many different things that I could su- suggest on top of that. The number one thing that comes to mind as you've been talking about skill stacking is just to be yourself. So you've got to discover who you are. Do you want to be a sort of personality type ministry or, or apologetics channel? And if so, then you've got to figure out, okay, are you the type of person? Is that, is that what God is calling you to do? In other words? Yes. And I think that the best way to answer that question is to look at your credentials. Are you just like someone who's an autodidact, someone who's just like learned a bunch of stuff on your own or are you an actual expert in some particular field, mm-hmm. right? Or mm-hmm. do you have a, a PhD? Do you have a master's? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of the thing that I would look at is as you're looking at whether or not you want to be a kind of personality versus a platform-based ministry, that's, that's probably the number one thing that I would look at there. But just be yourself. And you've got to find a way because there, there are tons of different apologetics channels right now on YouTube, mm-hmm. and there's only going to be more. And I think that's amazing. But what you've got to do is you don't want to be another William Lane Craig. You don't want to be another Cameron Bertuzzi. You don't want to be another Mike Winger. You've got to figure out what is, you know, what, who are you and how can you incorporate that into your ministry and how can you make it unique? How can you make it fun? If you, if you like comedy, if you're, you're funny or if you like music, you've got to figure out what is, what is, what are you drawn to and how can you incorporate that into what you're doing? And I think that a lot of people miss that. And so you end up just being like, a, a a less you know nice version of someone else who you're kind of mm-hmm. someone that you maybe aspire to be mm-hmm. or someone that you look up to and so but there there are definitely ways that you can incorporate one of one of the things that I said uh, that I was talking about maybe a year ago and mm-hmm. I, I still think about this from time to time is if you're into gaming mm-hmm. start a gaming YouTube channel and talk about apologetics the whole time like that would be amazing you know if that if you're interested in playing games. Why not? Like that, that seems perfect. And so don't run away from the other things that you're passionate about. Look for ways to incorporate those. And I think that once you do that, it's going to be a whole lot better in the long run. But that's, that's probably the number one thing I would say is just to be yourself. That's so good. And I think you you talked about the difference between like, uh, uh, 
personality driven platform so would you say like a mike winger uh john mccray are more of a personality channel uh, my, my channel is definitely a personality channel whereas you, you what you're talking about is hey you don't have to have this over-the-top credential or this over-the-top personality you can be a curator um would you agree with that kind of like john mccray and mike winger are more personality based yeah 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 i would say that they're definitely more personality based and it it, it, it depends on i mean Here's the thing with Mike Winger though is that he talks about the uh, a, a lot about the Bible. He's a he's a pastor, so he's got a lot on those. But then he does still bring on people who are experts and something like uh, Sean McDowell, the person who yes. who you were reading. He had him on to talk about the persecution of the early Christians, and so on topics where his knowledge is limited, then he'll bring on the experts, and which is a completely legitimate thing to do. So you can you can have a kind of mixture. You can you can like to talk about things yourself. And you can even, if you want to go the personality route, you can, you know, caveat some of the things that you say, like this, this is just my thoughts as someone who's investigating this. And and that doesn't mean that you're being arrogant or anything. You don't have to go that route. You can just, you know, give your thoughts like John, John McRae. That's what, that's what he does is he will take some subject and some, some current event or something, and he'll just share his thoughts about it. And then that's, that's what he does. And it's awesome. And it works really well for him. So, but yeah, I think that going back to like who you are and being true to yourself and figuring out like, what are you good at and what can you do and what are what other things can you bring into apologetics and how can you fuse those together? I think that that, that's something that you've just really got to slow down and think about. Don't try to jump into it too quickly because if you jump into it now and then you're like, oh, well maybe in a year, you know, I'll figure out who I am and and what I want to do and stuff. Then, then that's actually really bad for YouTube because then your channel is all over the place and YouTube doesn't know who to send your videos to. <laughs> so if you can start somewhere and have a really clear picture yeah. of who you are from the beginning, that's a much better way of going about it. I'm actually in the process of helping another Christian YouTuber who I'm, I'm going on his channel on Monday mm-hmm. and uh, his name is Parker. Or his, uh, his YouTube channel is called Parker's Pensies, mm-hmm. which is actually a really clever name after uh, – and I can't I, I can't even think of his name. But – uh, anyway, so I'm going on his channel, and his channel was kind of a hodgepodge. He had like these these videos of uh, the he's uh, I don't even know what you call it. He he has African bullfrogs, and he like feeds them things, and that's what he has on his channel. And one of his videos has like almost 40 million views, where mm-hmm. it's just like this frog eating all of these like bugs and even mice and stuff. And uh, but so on that same channel, he was putting these. Like interviews, which these interviews, these apologetic interviews are like he was interviewing these philosophers. Yeah. And these interviews were amazing. He's got like 50,000 subscribers on this channel, but those videos were only getting like 100, 200 views, which mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense for mm-hmm. the number of subscribers that he had. Mm-hmm. And so I was telling him, I was convincing him, look, dude, you need to start a new channel completely devoted to these interviews and stuff. And you're, you know, you're going to miss out on your monetization. Mm-hmm. You're going to miss out on all the subscribers that you've got, but at least what you're going to do is start to build an audience that really cares about that specific type of content. And on YouTube, that is super important. YouTube, if YouTube doesn't know who to send your videos to or to refer your videos to, then you're not going to get any views. And that's, I mean, that's the way to grow a channel is that YouTube has got to learn through algorithms and everything, who, who, the type of person to show your video to. And that's, that's super important. If you if you're all over the place, if you have different kinds of content, then that's going to be a lot more difficult, actually. So, so yeah, I think it's important to really figure out and nail down who you are and what you want your channel to be about 
before you start it, before you try to post any videos, like really nail that down first and do the do the hard work up front as opposed to trying to like do it later on. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I did it totally backwards. I just started making videos and talking about stuff I wanted to. And then over time, as I reflected on what I was most passionate on and most experienced on, which was faith related topics and thinking through, you know, faith stuff in terms of God and the Bible and current events and all that kind of stuff. As I found that pocket, it took me a while to find that pocket because I initially was kind of doing more like motivational business advice from a Christian worldview and mm. kind of went over and just said, I'm just going to talk about faith and my faith and the nuanced things of these social issues, politics, all that kind of stuff. Then is when it started to pick up. Uh, but it was the things that I didn't want to talk about that I, I knew I could talk about. And then it started to work out for me. And so it's it's interesting that you talk about knowing yourself Um if you Before don't, you get into it. Yeah, because if you don't know what you're – if one, if you don't know what you're talking about or two, you don't know – you just don't have self-awareness. You don't – you're not sure of like what are you good at? What are you passionate about, right? What are your expertise? What, all that kind of stuff. So I think I think that's really good, man. I, th- I think that's going to add a lot of value. You guys definitely go check out his uh, seven tips for YouTube. Um, it's on Capturing Christianity's channel. Also, Mike Winger has a whole separate channel dedicated to just Christian YouTube. That is – freaking gold man um it's so good it's so good stuff i go on there regularly and just kind of what's he talking about because he's definitely (laughs) he's definitely done a killer job on um on growing his platform he just cracked two hundred thousand subs you're at eighty thousand subs um so i think this is a very fertile space and it's very inspiring do you have any final thoughts before we wrap uh no um i wish i did I've, I've just, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I, I wasn't really sure, Ruzlan, I wasn't really sure what to expect <laughs> uh, with a, a conversation with you, but it's been awesome. It's been just super chill, super conversational. So just, yeah, thank thank you so much for having me on. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. And we didn't talk about politics. We didn't. <laughs> Cameron, thank you so much. Guys, check out Cameron's <laughs> channel. It's called Capturing Christianity. If you have questions, doubts, anything like that, I, I really feel like this channel will bless you. So check him out. I'll have that. It's in, pinned in the title. It'll be pinned in the description and on the pinned comment. So thank you guys so much. Appreciate you, Cameron. Thank you so much. This was fun. Uh, you are. Uh, I think what you're doing is really special, and I think it could be a blueprint for other creators. Um, who may not hold, you know, status and, and have big personalities, but have a passion for something. So thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate you. Joshua the king came down and bore it all. Yeah. Conversations front of the fireplace. All of my mistakes out of wire race. Wanna operate at a higher pace. Birth pains causing the body to dilate on a first name basis with the worst pain facing. 